0: Uh, Good morning, friends. It's good to be here with you today. If you're new, if you're joining us here for the first time, a special welcome to you. Uh, I would love to meet you maybe after service. Please introduce yourself to me. I don't bite, I promise. I only bite people I don't like. I'm sure I'll like you. So come introduce yourself to me. Uh, I would love to welcome you personally face to face. But my name is Dan Min, and I serve as the pastor of Alliance Christian Fellowship. And it's my joy to welcome you here today and to bring God's word to you here this morning. And so, hey, if you have your Bibles, uh, won't you go ahead and turn that open to the Gospel of Matthew. If you have a smartphone or an iPad or whatever in front of you, go ahead and open up to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 6. We're in a series right now. For those of you who have been journeying with us for the last several weeks, uh, we've been in a series called Teach Us to Pray. Teach Us to Pray. Now, the interesting thing about this little title is that many of us actually don't need to be taught how to pray. Uh, Believers and non-believers are alike, Christians and atheists alike, you know, like everyone somehow instinctively knows how to pray. Uh, I, I liken praying to sort of like, eating. Praying is sort of like eating. As very young children, we don't need to be taught how to eat. We just know to pick things up and put it in our mouths, right? Like even things that that we shouldn't be. I I constantly see parents swatting kids' hands, you know, like, ah, don't put that in there. Don't put that in your mouth. We went to the beach uh, when, when, when our oldest son was a wee little tyke, you know, like barely, barely walking, and he was just fisting, you know, fistful of sand right into it. You know, like kids just know to put things in their, mouth. they just, they know to eat, right? Like people don't need to be taught how to eat. We just know we need food. In fact, you know this, if you get hungry enough, you'll just about eat anything, right? It's like, I don't care. I'm, I'm hungry. I'm past hangry. I'm in survival mode. I will die if I don't have food. Now you get hungry enough, you'll eat just about anything. When it comes to prayer, you get desperate enough and you'll pray just about any prayer to any God. See, that, that, that's my point. You don't, you don't even have to believe in a God to know how to pray. It's almost as if there is something hardwired in the human condition to know similarly in your body, when I get hungry, I need food. When you get desperate enough... You just know to pray. I wonder if you've ever found yourself in a desperate situation. And in that moment, your knee-jerk reaction is to what? It's It's to pray. Sometimes you don't even know that you're doing it, and you're praying. But in that moment, you're offering up Hail Mary's, you're doing the sign of the cross. I mean, you've never even done that before. You didn't grow up Catholic, but you're like, I'll do it, man. Whatever works. You know, at this point, I'll do whatever. Maybe it's in that moment where you're sitting in front of an exam and you're like, Lord, I'm not, Lord, help me, help me remember the things that which I did not study, let it come to be, right? Like, amen, amen, and so you're praying, you're interceding, you're offering up all kinds of prayers to a God that you may or may not even believe. We just know how to pray. And yet, these early disciples, they were no different. They found themselves in situations, desperate moments, where they were offering up prayers, They didn't need to be taught how to pray. The issue here isn't that we need to be taught how to pray. The issue that Jesus was trying to address with the early disciples in Matthew chapter 6 was, I want to teach you how to pray better. I want to teach you how to pray, perhaps more effective, a far superior way to pray. And in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus begins to break down his own prayer pattern. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus teaches us exactly how it is we are to pray. And so pick me up in Matthew 6, starting at verse 9. I'm going to invite Aaron to come back up and read today's passage for us. For those of you who were with us last week, you might be wondering, hey, we read through this passage before. Yes, we're going to read it through it again. This whole series is based off of this single passage, this single prayer found in Matthew 6. And so we're going to work through it piece by piece. And so Aaron, why don't you come on up and uh, read today's passage for us. This is Matthew 6 verses 9 through 15. Pray then like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Amen. Amen. Friends, last week, if you were here, we looked at uh, the first opening line, the first line of the Lord's Prayer. In fact, not even the whole first line, but the first four words. Our Father in heaven. This morning, I want to look at the rest of that first line where Jesus says hallowed be your name. Another set of four words, four simple words that carry massive implications on our lives. If we get our heads around these four words, hallowed be your name, I believe, I truly do believe that our prayer lives will start to look different. I believe our prayer lives and our patter- prayer patterns will begin to shift. I want to, give, I want to give you three specific things here this morning that Jesus seems to be indicating, Jesus seems to be saying about prayer based off of these four words, hallowed be your name. The first thing is this, prayer begins with worship. Prayer begins with Worship. this is huge, okay? And in fact, this is a completely different way of thinking about prayer as compared to the way many of us typically pray. I said earlier that when we get desperate enough, we'll pray just about any prayer, right? It's about any God, right? Like, we, we get desperate enough and we'll pray. And if you were to think about all the moments in your life where you got desperate enough that drive you to that place of prayer all the moments that cause you to fall to your knees and cry out to God in help, are they not moments of great personal need? Those are moments where like you're, you're coming before God. These are moments where you need God to do something here. You need the, the, you need the divine intervention of this transcending God to come in, help me here, break through here. I need help. It's all driven and starting off the premise based off of our own sense of need. But for Jesus, his personal need was not the starting point for the prayer life of Jesus. Worship was where he began. If you notice the entire first line, okay, and and notice this is important. How Jesus begins this prayer is as important as the whole prayer in and of itself. Jesus opens that first line and he says, our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That entire first line has nothing to do with Jesus and what he needs. It has everything to do with worship and who God is. It has nothing to do with what Jesus needs. It has everything to do with who God is. In fact, the early disciples caught on to this. In Acts chapter 4, if you know this little story, Peter and John are brought before the Jewish council. They're thrown into prison, in fact, because they're sharing the gospel. They're, 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 they're uh, you know, leading, essentially, a revolution based off of the resurrection. And so they're going off, and the Jewish council says, you've got to stop this. Now, you've got to remember, for these early disciples, for Peter and John specifically, they saw what happened to Jesus. They literally saw with their own eyes Jesus crucified, tortured, and hanging on a cross, and that same threat is being imposed upon Peter and John. They're thrown into prison. After they're released from prison, they go back to their other disciples and the apostles. And in Acts chapter 4, verse 24 and 25, they say, they, the, the, the writer Luke says, they reported back to, their, to, their, uh, to the other disciples what the Jewish council had reported. In other words, threat there is threat on our lives. Our lives are on stake here, at stake. Would you say that perhaps they had some needs, on their plates. I mean, would you say that this was a point of great need, a desperate situation where a Hail Mary would be appropriate here, right? Like, our lives are on the line here. We're being told to shut it down. And what's the first thing that they do? I love this. First of all, they don't call a strategy meeting. They don't call a whiteboard session. They don't say, okay, now here's what we're going to do. We're going to work around the Jewish council this way. We're going to continue preaching the gospel in this corner because it doesn't seem like there's a, a large Jewish council representation here. So we're to, And they don't, they don't do none of that. They don't do any of that. It says in Scripture they reported to the disciples and they started to pray. Prayer was their first response. And you want to know the first thing that they prayed? The first thing out of their mouths was not, Lord, help us. Our lives are at stake. We're trying to do good for you and trying to preach the gospel. Their first line was, Sovereign Lord, who made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. They started to worship. Worship was their first response in that moment of prayer. For the early disciples even, they, they started with worship. Friends, I'm convinced that if we hang out in this first line of the Lord's Prayer long enough, you're going to start to reevaluate what your needs are in your life. You hang out in this first line of the Lord's Prayer long enough, we're going to begin to reevaluate what we perceive as real dire needs. The things that we deemed as need at one point no longer become dire needs in light of the glory of God, in light of the greatness of God, in light of the worship of God. You are God holy forever. I mean, all of a sudden, the needs that you had begin to shift and change. There's something, friends, that happens in our souls and in our hearts when we worship that makes our human needs seem that much smaller. It changes the way you worship, changes the way you pray. Now listen, l- let me just clarify something here before I move on. I'm not saying that we shouldn't bring our needs before God or ask God for things, or come to God in moments of desperation and need. Last week, we even talked about, like, we got a good father. He, he is Abba, father to us, right? And, and, and we, went to, we went to God with that notion that, like, God invites me. I mean, think about this. This is crazy. Like, the God of the universe, like, as if he didn't have enough on his plate, he encourages me to bring my burdens to him, and to bring my needs before him. And in fact, later on in this prayer, Jesus actually will encourage us to ask for needs. But that's not where the prayer pattern of Jesus starts. See, for many of us, the starting point for our prayer is our need. I need, I've got a need, therefore I pray. For Jesus, it was, I pray because God is worthy of worship. I pray, I come to him because he is God holy forever. Completely different starting point. It was never the, 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 the starting point for our prayer lives as often again. The prayer, the prayer starting point for Jesus was to give, to give God glory and honor. I love the passage. I love how Emily led us here this morning to give God glory and honor and worship and, and, and absolute worth due his name. I mean, that's where prayer really begins. It begins with Worship. Jesus says, hey, there's a time and place to bring your needs before God, but when you come to God, start in a place of worship. The second thing that Jesus is trying to teach us about prayer is that prayer recognizes God's holiness. Prayer recognizes God's holiness. Jesus says, pray our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now that word hallowed, it's, it's not a, a normal word. It's, it's sort of got a, a King James vibe to it, right? Like hallowed be thy name. We don't use that word in our sort of everyday vernacular. We don't hear that word while walking around campus. Yo, did you see how that guy hallowed his profession? Like, what? What? Like, what are you even saying? Like, we don't we don't use that word. But that word hallowed is a good word. That word hallowed means to recognize something something as so, or someone as holy, to deem something or someone, to recognize someone or something as holy. Now there's another word we don't often use in our everyday language, holy, other than perhaps to drop some expletives, holy, you know, you fill in the blank, holy, bleep, holy, you know, but, but outside of that, like did you know that holy is a biblical word that culture has hijacked and attached all kinds of expletives to? Holy is scriptural word. This word holy from a biblical perspective means to stand apart. To, to, it's to be consecrated or made sacred or to put it very simply, to be holy means to be like none other. Would you say those two words with me? None other with me this morning. Ready? None other. One more time. None other. That's what holy is. Holy is to be like none other. And in the opening line of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus makes it a point to express the holiness, the none otherness of our God to whom we're praying to. The thing is, this would not have been unusual for these first century listeners. These early Jewish disciples, they hear, Hallowed be your name. They'll like, go, oh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm tracking with you, Jesus. It would have been very likely that, that, that they would have recalled Old Testament passages that spoke of the none-otherness of God, passages like 1 Chronicles 17:20, where David prays. Listen to this: there is none like you, O Lord. There's no God besides you, according to all that we have heard with our ears. A, a Psalm of King David in Psalm 86, 8, it says, There is none like you among the gods. O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. The prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 10, 6 declares, There is none like you, O Lord. You are great, and your name is great in might. The holiness of God means that God is like none other. Now hold on to that thought for just a minute. When it comes to the church of today, the modern day church, The holiness of God is not a topic that we generally discuss or talk about or ponder. The church of today very much appreciates talking about the love of God, the grace of God. There are are certain attributes of God that, that, that the church of today, the modern church, Loves to sort of camp out in the compassion of God, the, the kindness of God. And, and, and for good reason, right? Because you spend any time in secular culture, you begin to understand people's perceptions about the church. The church is full of what? Hypocritical, racist, ignorant, bigots, right? Like, and and there's, there are all these targets that are, that are on our back as the church. And so what does the church do in response we're not that. We're about love. We're, we're, we're going to preach the love of God, the grace of God, the kindness of God, and friends. We do that here. I am all about the love of God, the kindness of God, the compassion of God, and all these things. But then what begins to happen is we, we look at some attributes of God, like the holiness of God, and we're like, I don't really know what to do with that. I don't really know. Like, culture doesn't seem to be addressing that, so We're not going to address it. (laughs) We're not going to talk about it. We don't really know what to do about the holiness of God. And what often ends up happening is the love of God and the holiness of God end up competing against each other. They end up on sort of opposite ends, polarizing ends of the spectrum. When people talk about the love of God, it often connotes a certain type of warm and friendly feeling and embracing feeling. We want to be a a, a church that is embracing and warm, a community of people that is warm and embracing, loving. Everyone's welcome. Love of God, love of God, love of God. And then on the other side, we have the holiness of God, where where for for that sort of attribute of God, it connotes a certain sense of unapproachability. Like we talked about this last week, the disciples would have seen God as so holy, so none other, that he is virtually unapproachable. The love of God, the holiness of God. But When you look at the character of God as displayed in scripture, you find that the two actually don't stand in opposition against each other. They don't even sort of like stand side by side together they stand front and back from each other. And what do we mean by that? They stand front and back. The holiness of God, if anything, if the holiness of God does anything, it actually amplifies the love of God. It doesn't defy the love of God. It doesn't contradict the love of God. It doesn't negate the love of God. It actually amplifies it and magnifies it. It's like the holiness of God is like a magnifying glass to all the other attributes of God. The holiness of God is the lens in which we see the rest of who God is through. Now hear me, folks. Let me me just unpack this here for just a second. Go back to that definition of holy we just talked about, right? Holy is defined by what those two words, none other. God is like none other. That's what we're saying when we say that God is holy. The word holy means set apart. When the Bible describes God as a holy God, it's describing a God who is set apart, who's like none other from all forms of deity and all forms of other creatures in heaven and on earth. Now hear me, folks. If God is truly like none other, that means the love of God is like none other that means the grace of God is like none other. That means the compassion of God. If God is truly holy, if he really is like none other, that means that the peace of God is like none other. You know, all those places that we run to to try to find peace, love, affirmation, meaning, significance, if God is truly holy, why would we go anywhere else if God is truly like none other and that makes the love of God it amplifies the love of God It magnifies the grace of God why would we go anywhere else that's where Jesus is saying start with this our father in heaven hallowed be your name holy is your name holy are you there is none other like you and because you are like none other everything about who you are is like none other. When we look through the prism of God's holiness, everything about who God is becomes clear. All of a sudden, everything about God becomes clear. Jesus says, now get a glimpse of that. Look through that prism of holiness. Get in there. Just get your eyes on that and know that that's who you're praying to, a holy God who is like none other. That's who we're praying to. You see, Jesus doesn't just stop at our Abba in heaven who cares for us, loves us, is concerned with us. He's saying, yes, he is that, but he is also a holy God. He's a God like none other. And in some ways, Jesus is like, now put some respect on that name. He is holy. He's not like, he's not normal, ordinary, He's not like you and me. He is like none other. Prayer recognizes God's holiness. And lastly, prayer realigns us to his name. Prayer realigns us to his name. Jesus says, hallowed be your name. A person's name is a powerful thing. It's a powerful Powerful for us. There's power in the name, right? Like we we we've, we've sung this song before in churches, you know, di- different environments. There is power in the name of Jesus, right? There's power in a name, not just in the name of Jesus, but even in everyday names. Your name, my name. There's there's power in a name, which makes it a terrible thing that I I am awfully forgetful with names, right? Like, and so if I've asked you for your name multiple times, please forgive me, right? It's like, I'm not, I just, I'm working on it, and, and I'm trying to get better at remembering names, but, but, but there's power in a person's name. In fact, Dale Carnegie once said, a person's name is to that person the sweetest and most important sound in any language, right? Like, the, the person's, a person's name is to that person the sweetest and most important sound in any language. You see, when someone knows us by our name, we feel known, we feel seen. In fact, uh, someone in ACF recently told me that uh, one of the reasons that she chose to stick around our church community and chose this particular ministry was because I remembered her name from the first time I met her. She didn't stick around because of our theology. She didn't stick around because of, of, of our programs or how we do ministry or how we function as, as, as a church community. She stuck around because pastor remembered my name. When when someone calls you by your name, there's a a sense of connection and knownness. And and, and yet, and yet, you know this, right? Sometimes when we're called by our name, we don't feel so connected per se, but perhaps we feel nervous. You know, yeah. Have you ever, have you ever, I wonder, have you ever been called by your full name? (gasps) Oh, You know, you hear your full name being called. Maybe it was you growing up as a kid, you know, growing up in your home. You hear your full name, and immediately you're like, uh oh. Right? Like your stomach drops. You take inventory of your life the last couple of hours. It's like, oh crap, what did I do? What did I say? I wasn't called by my first name. I wasn't called by my life. I was called by my full name. There is power in a name, there is power in name. Names are powerful because it brings to bear one's identity. For some of us, we don't even like to be called by our names because we feel naked. If we feel exposed, it's like, ooh, you know, like he called my name. Like, is he, Is he? he? does he know things about me that I, like, what? It's like, no, it's just your name. But there's power. That's, that's the kind of effect a name has because it brings to bear one's identity. Your name identifies you. You're known by, by that name. When Jesus taught us to pray, he said, pray, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Now, the interesting thing about this is over the course of history, God has not just had one name, but many names. Now, don't, don't, don't mishear what I'm saying or, or don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Um, there is one God. Be not mistaken. We worship one God One God only, but this one God was known by his people by many names. Our Bibles are actually filled with various versions of God, God's name. I want to just give you a few here, just a handful. We know God as Yahweh, the eternally existing one, the great I am, the one who says, I am that I am. We know God as Adonai, the Lord, the Master, the one who is sovereign over all. We know God as Elohim, the one true creator, God Himself, who was at the beginning of, very, of the very time of existence. He is Elohim. He is also El Shaddai, the all-powerful one. He is El Elyon, the, the, the most high God, Lord Almighty. He is. He is El Roy, the God who sees me. The God who knows me, the God who knows everything there is to know, he is El Roy, the God who sees. He is El Olam, the everlasting one, the eternal one, the one who was and is and is to come. He is El Olam, he is Jehovah, the all-sufficient Lord who has no need for anything. He is all-sufficient, self-sufficient. But he's not just Jehovah. He's Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is my banner. He is Jehovah Rohi. The Lord is my shepherd. He is Jehovah Rapha. The Lord is my healer. He is Jehovah Shema. The Lord is there. He has not abandoned you. He is Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is my peace. He is Jehovah Jireh. The Lord who provides. When Jesus says, hallowed be your name, what Jesus is doing here is he's taking you by the face and he's drawing you in and pulling you a little bit closer, fixing your eyes right into the identity of who God is. He's essentially saying, when you pray, know that you're not praying to any old generic God out there. When you pray, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, he's saying you're praying to the God, the one true God, the holy God. You are praying to Yahweh, Adonai, El Shaddai. You are praying to the God who is known by his name. We haven't even touched the name of Jesus. Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the bread of life. I am the door. I am the light of the world. Jesus has many names too. When Jesus says, hey, when you pray, pray, hallowed be your name. He is realigning our lives to the name of God. And when you know who you're praying to, it changes the way you pray when you know who you're praying to. I'm not praying to any old dead generic great value brand God. Nothing against great value. Okay. Walmart it's where it's at. You guys are poor college students. I get it. You're on a great value budget. I get it. I get it. Okay. But, but God is not a great value brand. He's not a generic brand God. This is This is a different kind of God that you're praying to. And when you know who you're praying to, friends, it changes the way you pray. I'm telling you right now. It changes the way you pray. And maybe for some of us, the thing that's going to catalyze and awaken our prayer lives is a fresh revelation of the identity of who God is. God is Yahweh a name that was so sacred that the Jewish people couldn't even fully write out the name of God. When, they, when you look at the Hebrew, the Hebrew uh, name for Yahweh, they, they took out the, the vowels because they believe that the name of God is so sacred, so holy, that we don't even have language to put to it. This God, He is like none other. That's the God who we're praying to. And Jesus says, when you pray, pray our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. As a worship team makes their way forward, I just uh, I want to bring us to a place of prayer here as we close out. I don't know, maybe you see why we're going piece by piece through this prayer. I, I, I got to tell you guys, man, when I look at the Lord's prayer, it is so rich and so filled with such insight and knowledge. I mean, like, again, I, I said it earlier, but but I'm telling you right now, even that first line, if we just, if we spend enough time in that first line, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Man, I'm telling you, there, was, there will be, I, I just know this to be true. And this is why we're doing what we're doing on Friday mornings, we gather every morning and Friday just like on this, just straight down the hall on this level, like in the conference room across in room 107. We, we gather together, and, and we just want to apply some of these things that we're talking about that Jesus said, hey, I'm going to teach you how to pray. And the last thing I want to do as, a, as, a, as disciples and followers of Jesus is like, got it. I took some notes on it. Thank you. It's in my notes app. See, Jesus like, look, look. I, took, I, I, I hear you. Our Father in heaven. I, no, no, no. Jesus is like, I want, I'm teaching you to pray so that you pray. See how that works? It's like, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not teaching you this so that I can test you on it one day, so that you can recite it word for word one day. I'm teaching you this so that you can grow a prayer life now. And that's what we're doing every Friday. We're gathering together to pray, to put some of these things that Jesus taught us into practice. And so, listen, 7 o'clock in the morning is an ungodly hour. There there were some folks at that room, like, they're like, I did not know 7 a.m. existed. Like, there, you know, there is life at 7 (laughs) a.m. Yes, there is life. So come. We'd love to have you join us. It's early. I get it. But man, there's just something about starting your day in that posture of holy is your name how that changes the rest of sort of the, the, the launch pad of the rest of your day. So again, this Friday, we'll be there. I'll be there. I, love, I, I invite you personally. I, you get a pastoral invite. You don't get that very often. You get a pastoral, that doesn't mean much, but you get a pastoral invite to come join us and pray. This prayer that the Lord taught us is so rich because this is the prayer pattern of Jesus. This is, this is how Jesus prayed. We're only through the first line. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Friends, I want to invite you to bow your heads with me for just a minute. And maybe do some some business with the Lord.